Our second scripture this morning is Matthew 9, 35-38, and I'll be reading that later on in the sermon, so go ahead and get your Bible ready if you want to follow along with me. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The year was 1910. William Boyce, a Chicago businessman, was lost in London fog so thick he didn't know where he was or where he was going. Now, these were the days before cell phones and navigation apps, and even before all of those iconic red phone booths were all over London. He was stuck. Finally, a boy noticed William's distress, came to his aid, safely leading him to his destination. He tried to tip the boy, and the boy said, no, I cannot accept the tip. I'm a scout. And two years later, William Boyce started the Boy Scouts of America. Many of us are here today and who we are today because a scout was kind and helpful. And many of us are here today and are who we are today because God has been kind and because God has been helpful. Now that last statement might seem so, so obvious, but I I felt the need to repeat it because some of us have been taught that God's love is unconditional, but we haven't felt that love in real and practical ways. It seems so abstract. Some of us have been taught that God loves us, but only if we believe the right things and do the right things. And if we don't, if we don't, that God is angry and that we are deserving of wrath, which doesn't feel very helpful or kind. Others of us might believe that God loves us, but we're convinced that She probably doesn't like us very much, that God might be kind, but rolling her eyes and muttering under her breath about how we just can't get our stuff together, resenting us for being so harassed and helpless, and blaming us for being so lost. But my friends, Jesus comes to show us that the God of the universe is not distant, nor angry, nor vindictive, nor even resentful but full of compassion for us. You in Brooklyn read our first scripture, Psalm 103. And as I said, the second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease in every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus notices their distress and he feels their pain in the depths of his very being. The Greek word for compassion here is splonk nizomai, 
Splunk means bowels. It means the gut. That's where the ancients believed that our feelings came from. And this word, splanknizomai, is like Jesus feels this so strongly that his gut is busting open. Some of you know how that feels. You felt it when you saw the other dogs attack your dog. Or you felt it when you've seen your child getting hurt. And somehow the hurt that you feel is more than the hurt they feel. The Gospel accounts say that Jesus feels pain like that over and over and over again. He has compassion when He sees people who are bewildered and dejected and stressed and confused and anxious and afraid. Jesus has compassion when He sees people who are sick and disabled and hungry. Jesus has compassion on those whose hearts are breaking. When Martha and Mary are weeping and wailing over their brother, Jesus isn't just nice to them. He is overcome with emotion and He starts ugly crying and wailing from the depths of His being. Jesus even and especially, because I think this, this is something hard for us to believe sometimes, has compassion when He sees people who have screwed things up. When He sees people who has, have made bad choices, who get caught up in destructive patterns and habits and addictions. He has compassion when He feels sees people caught up in guilt and shame. When others expect them to get their lives cleaned up and jump through all sorts of hoops to be considered worthy, Jesus says time and time again, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You don't have to beat yourself up or pay money or bring an animal to be sacrificed at the temple so that you can be forgiven or accepted or good enough. I love you just the way you are right now. Sisters and brothers, I believe that this same gut-busting compassion we see in the historical Jesus is the compassion that God has for you and me. I believe that God notices you and that God notices what you're going through. That God's heart is the first to break when a life is lost or a life is taken. That God's heart is the first to break when your heart breaks. That as Pastor Jennifer said, that God doesn't just say, I'm sorry you're feeling this way, but that God feels exactly what we feel. That God feels our confusion, our suffering, our anger, our stress, our fear, our worry, our grief. I believe that God doesn't resent you for being harassed and helpless or blame you for losing your way. That God doesn't require sacrifices from you, but wants you just to feel His mercy. As the psalmist says, He knows how we were made. He knows that we are dust. Limited and finite and human. And that doesn't elicit disgust or disappointment, but compassion.
And I pray that today that you will feel God's compassion for you. But Jesus isn't the only one capable of being compassionate or being called to compassion. We are too. If you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, that word splanknizomai is not just used for Jesus, but it's used for that Samaritan who sees that person in the ditch and is moved and goes out of their way to make sure that they are bound up and healed. Listen to verses 37 and 38. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Up until this point in the Gospel, Jesus is doing everything by Himself. But at this point, Jesus calls out the disciples and Jesus calls us out to do the things that Jesus is doing. And for me, it might end in teaching and healing, but it has to start with that compassion. That might feel impossible to you, especially when you feel harassed and helpless yourself, when you feel hurried and harried. It might feel impossible as you manage your own struggles and your own schedules. It might feel impossible for those of you who just say, well, that's just not really my gift, empathy. I have a hard time having compassion. It's just not something I'm good at. Modern psychologists tell us that we all have the capacity for empathy. We all might have different capacities, some higher levels than others, but that the good news is that we can train our brains to grow in empathy, to grow in compassion, to have more of a capacity to feel with others. Psychologists say that there are three steps in the empathy process that we notice another person, what they're going through, how they're feeling, that we feel what they're feeling, and that we do something to help. Now, step, three, step two, feeling what another person is feeling is hard to do and much harder to explain. But steps one and three give us practical things that we can get started on to get us to that place where we can have empathy. Empathy starts with noticing. Jesus notices the crowd. The scout noticed the man who was lost. There are people all around us who need us to notice them. Psychologists say that up to 90% of a person's emotional state is communicated non-verbally through body language and facial expression and gestures and even in tone of voice. This is important for law enforcement officers to learn how to read. It can be the difference between life and death for them and those they encounter. And so in many departments, training involves looking at pictures of people with different emotions and trying to recognize what the person is thinking or feeling. And studies show that just in a few rounds of doing this, that they can get better. They can better recognize the emotion even when the faces are different. This might not be life and death for us, but sometimes it can be. But I wonder what impact 
could you make if you paid more attention to the people around you? Now, I don't mean stare at somebody, you know, in a restaurant. The person you've been gossiping about for the last few minutes that you're, you're all of a sudden going to focus on, that'd be a little bit awkward. And as much as Danville was growing, we're still a pretty small town. But what if you made it your practice to notice more of what is going on with your classmates or your coworkers, or noticing more what's happening with the people in line around you at the grocery store, noticing what's happening with your siblings or your spouse or your children? What if you made an effort to notice how they were feeling, if they were happy or sad or stressed or relaxed? How might that change you? And how might that change your interaction with them? And what if we notice what people are actually saying to us? Now, I don't just mean that we notice that they're talking, but we actually hear the words that they're saying. What if we really listened when other people spoke? A few days ago, I read uh, a study from an HR consultant who specializes with working with construction companies, with contractors and foremen on construction sites. These are men, they're usually men, who score high in assertiveness, but score pretty low in empathy, which might be okay with just trying to get the job done quickly, but it leads to conflict on the work site and lots of turnover with employees. Now the consultant led these men in role-playing exercises with each other, but the most important part of the training was the homework. They said, now go home and ask your wife, how was your day? And when she's talking, listen to what she says, and maybe ask some follow-up questions, and, and say things to her like, wow, I'm sorry that happened. That sounds like it was hard, or wow, that was exci that's exciting. I see some of the women in the uh, congregation elbowing their, their husbands. When these men came back from their training seminars, they were, wow, they were surprised by it. They said, things are going so well at home. It hasn't been this good in my marriage for a long, long time. And they actually were able to manage their employees better too. What if we practice this kind of deep listening and mirroring with each other, noticing what people are saying and how they are feeling and carefully and gently speaking what we notice back to them so that they know that we've heard them? The more we notice, the more we mirror, the more we have a chance to feel what others are feeling, and that can lead to healing for them and for us. The third step of empathy is to do something to help. Now sometimes it's as simple as a scout helping a lost man find his way. And sometimes it's as profound as a scout troop helping a boy or girl find their way. Now I may look strong and confident and put together up here, but I was an anxious and shy adolescent. And that little boy still lives somewhere inside of me. I had a hard time finding friends or fitting in, but Scouts was one of those groups where I always felt like I belonged. And the other was youth group. It was church. 
Now, we didn't sit around and talk about our feelings, but my fellow scouts and my scout leaders, my fellow youth and my youth pastor and my Sunday school teacher, all these people around me, they noticed me. They saw who I was. Yes, they saw my weaknesses and insecurities, I'm sure. But they also saw gifts and graces that I couldn't see for myself. They were needed friends and they were encouragers. They helped me to find my way in life and in faith. My friends, there are people who feel harried and hurried, harassed and helpless, people who feel lost all around us. And you can help them find their way. It starts with empathy. It starts with you noticing them. It starts with you feeling what they're feeling. It starts with you helping in whatever way you can. The love of Christ might feel far away and abstract. It might feel too good to be true. But it can actually come close to others in the compassion that you show them. And it can come close to you in the compassion that is growing within you even right now in this very minute. May it be so.